Thanks again for being here at Grace, especially this 4th of July weekend. I know a lot of people are traveling and, and are gone, and people are tuning in, but uh, we're glad you're here, that you made it, and, and out of the heat and into the air conditioning, so great to see you. It's, it's an amazing thing. This weekend, as we celebrate our country, of course, we're reminded uh, that there's a lot of strife in our country, and especially through our national news media, we're reminded every day that there's racial strife in our country. And, and of course, Scripture says, teaches us that racism is wrong. And uh, here at Grace, we obviously know that we love all people. We want to help all people. And we actually do that every single week. And probably like a lot of you, I don't know of anyone who thinks racism is okay. It's not to say they're not out there. I'm just saying, I don't know anybody like that. That's probably true of you. And I don't know of anyone who thinks one class of people is somehow inferior to another class of people. Again, that's not to say there's not racism in certain people's hearts in America. Of course, there is. And, and we preach and we teach, and the Bible teaches, that racism is a sin against God. By the way, every single police officer I know believes the exact same thing, that racism is wrong. And today, uh, we're honoring law enforcement officers in our community. Don't know if you caught the news, but uh, Friday night, a Toledo police officer was shot and killed in the line of duty. Officer Dia was responding just like it always happens with police. They are, always, they are always who we call when something goes wrong, who we call when there's a problem, who we call when we need to be protected, who we call when our rights are being violated. We call the police. And then they show up and try to fix whatever's happening. And in this circumstance, from, from the story I heard, I'm sure people in the room know more about it than I do, but a uh, police officer you know, was called because a man was acting strange, drunk, some people were worried about him or whatever. Police officer shows up on the scene, guy doesn't want to talk to him, starts walking away. Police officer starts following him to talk to him, and he turns around, starts firing, and kills the police officer, and then later takes his own life. Being a police officer is a dangerous job. They do hard things. They do what a lot of us would never do or be willing to do. Police officers have to arrest people. They have to arrest people who don't want to be arrested. That's not easy. You know, and they're underappreciated. Well, today we're, we're honoring our police officers. In, in doing that, um, we're reminded being a police officer is a dangerous job, and it's even more dangerous when they are not supported by our community. Here's what Scripture says in Romans 13 about the governing authorities. Scripture's just telling us uh, the right of this. It says, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. 
Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. That's what Scripture teaches us. That's a passage of Scripture that I learned when I was just a little bit involved in law enforcement back in my 20s. But right now, I would like all, of, all, police, all law enforcement officers and former law enforcement officers to stand right now so that we can show you our appreciation. I'd like you to keep standing. I'd like you to keep standing as I see Chief Bliss sitting down first. I'd like you to keep standing for just a moment. We've given you, uh, hopefully you've received, a small token of our appreciation. And then also in there is a card that you can fill out uh, that asks how we can specifically pray for you and your family. And we would love for you to, to fill that out. And, uh, and turn that in either in one of these buckets or the, or the information table up there. We're, and uh, we, we'd love to be able to, to pray for you. And, and I want to do that right now. Before I do that, if you happen to have any family members with you, I would, if your family is willing, I would like them to stand as well. And then we're going to have a time of prayer. If you would also stand up. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Let's pray together. Father God, we, we thank you uh, for those in our community who risk their lives uh, to keep us safe and uphold our laws. And Lord, we recognize that it's a dangerous job and we pray your protection on them, that you would give them wisdom, that you would protect them, Lord, take care of them. Lord, we pray that they would know and experience and feel the support of the community around them, we pray that we as a community would support them, stand behind them as they do the work that, that we all need done. And Father, we thank you for your goodness. And we thank you that people are willing to serve to protect our individual freedoms our law enforcement community, also our military. God, thank you for these people. And Father, we pray your blessing on them as we all look toward you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Today, we've all seen it. There's a movement to attack, criticize, um, assume the worst about police officers. I believe it's endangering our communities uh, to do that. Today, we've, we hear on the news that communities are defunding police departments at the urging mainly of an organization called Black Lives Matter. And uh, Black Lives Matter, the, the phrase is true, the organization is not good. And, and that's why most Christians would not support the organization, 
Black Lives Matter. If you just go to their website and see what they stand for, it's anti-family, anti, you know, just anti-Christian, anti-biblical truth. I mean, just compare that to the Bible, and, and you see that. It's, um, you just have to know that. And that's, that's why many people, many Americans, and, and many, if not all, uh, black Americans that I know, do not support Black Lives Matter. To further kind of explain that, I, I actually have a clip um, from, it's, this is Carol Swain. She's a former professor of political science and law at Vanderbilt University. And before that, she was a tenured professor at Princeton. And I'd like you to just hear her perspective. Do you think that Black Lives Matter is doing a lot of good for young African Americans in our country right now? Okay, in 2016, I gave a CNN interview. I was debating a, a, an attorney in L.A. named Ariva Martin. And at that time, the uh, five police officers in Dallas had been slain. And I pointed out, because I'd gone to the Black Lives Matter website, that they were Marxists. It looked like, you know, that the planks came from the Communist Manifesto. They were talking about overthrowing the state. And at that time, I said that Black Lives Matter was a destructive force in our society, and it was a problem. And I caught a lot of grief for saying that. Now the um, founders of Black Lives Matter, they've come out, they've come out as Marxists. And what I see is people not being able to discern between the statement, Black Lives Matter, in the same way that all lives matter, they can't distinguish between the, the slogan that's a true statement and the organization that's Marxist. And I believe that the organization itself is using black people to advance a Marxist agenda. And the corporations, the schools, the churches, the people that have gotten behind Black Lives Matter, the organization, they think they're helping black people. They think they're showing support for black people, but actually it's the opposite. Yeah, why do you think that so many people support an organization like Black Lives Matter when, I mean, very clearly you can go to their website, you can see their views, their ideals. I mean, they said they want to have literally no police anymore in America. I mean, why do you think there are so many people so attracted to those kind of values? They're not attracted to it necessarily. Now, some of the people that support Black Lives Matter, they're supporting it because they think if they put a poster in their window, their windows will not be broken out. So they're sort of paying what they think is protection money. That never works. I think anyone who really understands the organization, how could they support it? I believe that white people are cowardly, especially at this moment in history, and they feel like they want to show that they support black people. We don't hate anybody. I'm not racist. I can prove it. I'll give money to Black Lives Matter. There's no race problem. There's only a race problem when the media creates a race problem. So what... So Carol Swain, a brilliant lady, happens to be a believer as well. She, she's on the Marxism thing, and that's significant. By the way, as far as Christians, there's a lot of things in the organization that are anti-Christian, not necessarily Marxism, but the reason she's bringing up Marxism is significant. First of all, think about where in the world has Marxism 
socialism, or communism helped any oppressed people. There, there's nowhere in the world that that's happened. And so, as somebody who studied a little bit about economics and had the opportunity to travel to places like Russia and China and places in Africa and, and all the rest, I'm, I'm here to tell you there's no comparison between capitalism and Marxism. Capitalism has brought more people out of poverty, not just in the West, but all around the world than any other economic system in the world. I mean, that's just the truth of it. But, but I'm not here to promote capitalism, but Marxism, I, I mean, it, it's crazy. Lenin, Stalin, Mao, all murdered tens of millions of people. Each one of those people murdered more people than Hitler murdered. It's crazy the way people can think uh, about stuff like that. But, but here, here's why it's significant, and I believe this is why uh, Carol mentioned this, is because for because Black Lives Matter has a Marxist ideology, they're admitting that. Their founders are all said they were trained Marxist organizers. They didn't used to say that. Now they admit that freely. You can find the clips. So here's the deal. For Marxism or socialism or communism to work, to catch hold in a free society, you first have to convince the masses of people that there is a segment of people being oppressed. If people aren't being oppressed, then nobody's attracted to Marxism, socialism, or communism. So you have to make the general population believe that there is a class of people being oppressed by others for that to work. And that's why we see everything going on. You have to research and look and, and try to find the truth about what's going on. Um, Marxism promises freedom, but always delivers captivity, oppression, always uses people, always oppresses the masses. Look around, go visit another country and see what's left of those systems. They're just shells. Now, we live in a country today where our church this weekend is being criticized for honoring law, our local law enforcement officers. We, we've come a long way. And, and we're not worried about that. We can handle criticism. The church will always be criticized. We get that. As a matter of fact, when we're most often criticized is when we're standing for voices that are not heard. And the best example of that is the voices of 850,000 unborn babies who are killed every year in our country. They have zero voice. But we're not here to oppress people. We're here to help ladies who are faced with difficult choices, hard decisions. We're here to help them and give voice to the unborn. But that, that's not the topic we're talking about today. What we're talking about today 
is truth and freedom. And we live in a great country. All Americans enjoy more freedom than anyone else in the world. If you don't know that, you need to travel the world. All Americans have more freedom here than anyone else does in any other place in the world. So that's why we support institutions that protect that freedom, like our military and our law enforcement officers. But let's focus today on what the Bible says, specifically what Jesus said about truth and freedom. Because Jesus said, without truth, there is no freedom. Now, when Jesus talked about truth and freedom, he wasn't talking about political freedom, although political freedom and slavery were part of the conversation. I mean, it's mentioned in there. He, what, Jesus wasn't talking, in the text we're going to look at, which is in John 8, Jesus wasn't talking specifically about political freedom, but Christians have always known that political freedom is so valuable it's worth dying for. And Christians have known that, and it's not really that clear to us here in America, because in America, Christians don't really experience persecution. It's just kind of verbal stuff and all that. But in other parts of the world, in much of the world, today, this morning, there is persecution against Christians in communist socialist and Marxist countries, but also other Muslim, you know, in different countries. That happens every single day. As a matter of fact, many people are saying the most persecuted group in the world right now is our Christian people for being Christians. Again, we don't experience that like that here. But as important as political freedom is, Jesus is talking in the passage we're going to look at about a freedom that's more fundamental, more important than political freedom, and it's a freedom that springs from truth. So right now I invite you to focus our attention on John chapter 8, which if you want to use one of the Bibles in the chair rack in front of you is page 1070, page 1070, and John 8, beginning of verse 30. Here's, here's what it says. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Now, during this exchange, Jesus is challenging the Jewish leaders on the sincerity of their faith. And what he's doing is he's challenging these people on the shallow nature of their faith. And as a matter of fact, John, one of Jesus' disciples who was with him in his ministry, when he writes his book, he brings this theme out over and over that Jesus keeps pointing out that some people, they say they believe, they don't really believe. And it's the same way today. Many people 
have good thoughts about Jesus, and they don't want to say anything negative about Jesus, but they actually disagree with a lot of what Jesus says. And so here's what they do. They think Jesus, they like Jesus as long as Jesus does what they think Jesus should do. And if they ever find out Jesus doesn't do what they think that he should do, then they say, well, that's wrong or that's an error or I can't, I can't go along with that kind of Jesus. And what happens in our culture today are a bunch of people who really stand against the principles that Jesus taught. They say they're okay with Jesus, but what they've actually done is they've redefined Jesus in their own mind. They've redefined him that where Jesus is a lot like them. But that Jesus doesn't exist. That Jesus is just a Jesus of their imagination because God has revealed himself and Jesus has revealed himself. We don't get to redefine who Jesus is. Jesus defined himself to us. And we can accept it or reject it, but let's not play the game of just making him somebody else. Three questions about truth and freedom I want to talk about today. First of all, who does free, freedom and truth come from, why, and how it can come to us? Truth and freedom, who does it come from? First of all, we are, you need to understand what we as Christians are saying when we're talking about truth and freedom. We believe as Christians that truth comes from God, and it specifically comes from God through His Word, and that this book, the Bible, is God's inspired word. Now, a lot of people used to have questions about the Bible, but we can prove now, because of archaeology, that the, the New Testament that was written in the first century is exactly what we have today. There has been no changes. We can now prove that through archaeology. That used to be a big uh, complain about the Bible. Well, we don't know what it said back then because we were in, it's just changed all these years like the phone game. We can prove that did not happen. The Bible is authentic and what we have as the Bible is reliable. Now, here's the problem. We as Christians believe that ultimate truth comes from God's word. The problem in our culture today is there's a lot of people pushing back on whether there is even truth, whether, is even ob whether objective truth even exists. And then they make statements like, objective truth does not exist, which is crazy because philosophically that's a truth statement. And if no true statements work, then what, what are you even saying? Of course, rationally and logically, and philosophically, truth exists. Ultimate, objective truth exists. That's what we're saying as believers. It's just common sense. Now, different. Now, here's the thing about truth, though. Truth offends people. That's why just the New Testament portion of the Bible, let alone the Old Testament, offends people. Like I've said many times before, the New Testament offends people in every culture. Different parts of it offends different people. And then within a culture, different parts of the New Testament offends different people. 
Traditional cultures are offended by the New Testament concept of love, mercy, and forgiveness. Permissive cultures, like the Western uh, cultures today, are offended by judgment and punishment. Everybody's offended. Why? Because the truth of God's Word is outside of culture. It's above our culture, and it's God's Word that judges culture, not the other way around. That's the truth. And truth makes freedom possible. Truth makes freedom possible. Now, the myth about freedom is that freedom is simply doing whatever you want. When you get to do whatever you want, that's freedom. It, and, and the Christian mind of freedom, freedom is actually serving a master, serving Jesus. Here's the deal. Freedom, doing whatever we want, freedom is actually more complex than that. And I'll, I'll use uh, an illustration. I love chocolate chip cookies. There was actually a time when I was working my way through college that I, for my first two years of college, I worked seven days a week in a bakery that baked chocolate chip cookies. I baked chocolate chip cookies seven days a week for two years. And I can tell you, every single day for two years, I ate chocolate chip cookies. I'm not kidding. Every day, I didn't take vacation. I worked seven days a week. Every day, I ate chocolate chip cookies. I had the freedom to do that. And I want the freedom to eat a pan of chocolate chip cookies anytime I want. But I also want the freedom to live a long and healthy life. Guess what? That's a problem, right? I, can, I was in my 20s then, it worked. But now I'm no longer in my 20s. I can't eat a pan of chocolate chip cookies every day and live a long and healthy life. These are two freedoms that I want that I cannot have both. Freedom is more complex than just doing what you want because our freedoms conflict with each other. We do a lot of counseling at our church. Well, you'll have people come in and, and what they want is a great marriage, but they also want the freedom to do things that are destructive to a great marriage. That's a problem. Those are two wants. We want to be free to do both things, but they conflict with each other. And, and then here's the deal. What freedom do you live for? Who do you serve? What do you live for? Because what Scripture's telling us, that real freedom is not doing whatever we want. Real freedom is serving the right master. Real freedom is serving the right person. Because Scripture tells us we all serve something or someone. Sometimes I, I use the wheel, the spoked wheel, remember? Whatever's in that center, whatever we center our lives on, that's what we're living for. 
That's what we're serving. And anytime we put anything or anybody in the center of our lives except for God, it will always cause a problem. And if we do it enough, if we focus, focus on it enough, that thing or that person will enslave us. So what do you serve? Who do you serve? Success? Is that it? Self-reliance? Independence? Comfort? What do you serve? How people view you? Family? Even good things, if we put them in the center of our life, good gifts from God, if we place in the wrong spot in our lives, it will be destructive to us. For example, family. If you live to serve your family and you put your family in the place of God, it will cause issues for you and your family. One example would be uh, you might have a family member that does something that's completely morally wrong against somebody else, but you won't say that it's wrong because your family, you'll pretend that that's okay and that's bad for you and bad for your family member. Anything we serve will enslave us eventually if we focus on it long enough, except for one master. Live for Jesus. He's the one master who really knows you completely and loves you, not just with words, but loves you even with action, loves you at great cost. If you live for anyone or anything else, you'll be enslaved. So if truth and freedom come from God, th then the next question is, well, why Jesus? Why Jesus? Well, back to the text. Here, as we were reading in John 8, the Jewish people, they're offended by what Jesus has said. And so they push back on Jesus. Because, you know, he's saying they're slaves to their sin, and they push back and say, whoa, 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 slaves? What? We're descendants of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anybody. And, and so here's what they're doing. Now, here's what everybody in that conversation knew that sometimes we don't know. Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus. Jesus lived 2,000 years before us. Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus. All the Jewish people knew that they were descended from Abraham. They knew that because of the Old Testament. If you've ever read the Old Testament, you're wondering why this guy begot that guy and that guy begot this guy and the, you know, all those family lineages. That shows that they're descended from Abraham. So they know that for sure. They have records of that. And then they make, and they also know something else about Abraham, that God had a special relationship with Abraham, and God promised to Abraham that his descendants would be many and that they would be blessed. He even said that they would bless the whole world. And they knew that they stood in that special status. Well, we're descendants. I don't know what you're talking about. Slaves were descendants of Abraham. Which is kind of funny they would say that because right after the time of Abraham, what happened? The Jewish people were enslaved as a nation in Egypt for 400 years. 
So weird that they would say that, but they do. They say, hey, we're descendants of Abraham. We know that God's going to bless us. And we, in our lifetime, we haven't been enslaved to anybody. And then it continues. They ask. And by the way, who do you think you are? Is what they're saying in verse 53. Whom do you make yourself out to be? They ask Jesus. Who do you think you are? saying these things. And Jesus answers that question in verse 56. He said this, because they brought up Abraham. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said, you're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And then Jesus replies back, Jesus said to them, truly, Truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Very significant that he says that. Now, when, as soon as that happens, look at the next verse. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, because Je- but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Notice the violent mob reaction to what he says. They've been having a relatively long conversation. Conversation's over, violent mob reaction. Here's why. Because these Jewish people that Jesus is talking with, they know that they know about their Jewish history. They know after the time of Abraham, after the time that when the people were enslaved in Egypt, that God called this man named Moses to deliver the nation of Israel from Egyptian slavery. And they all know that story very well. They're talking to Jesus, they know this stuff, they know it down cold. And then they also know this, that when God called Moses to deliver the people from slavery, Moses didn't want to go. And God said, hey, go get my people out of slavery. And and Moses said, no, thank you. And he said, no, I'm telling you, go get my people out of slavery. And God said, I don't want to do it. And then Moses starts throwing up a bunch of excuses to God. Remember the story? And so he says, well, God, what, what if they don't believe me? You know, if I just, they don't know me. If I show up and say, hey, God wants me to lead you out here, what if they don't believe me? What if they think I'm nuts? If I say, you told me to do this, they're going to think I'm crazy. What if they ask me, you know, who God is? I'm going to say, well, our God, you know, the God of Abraham. They say, what's his name? How am I going to answer him, God? And Jesus answers them. He does that in Exodus 3 14. God said to Moses, replies to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, this is God talking, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, the Jews understand, they know this passage. And when Jesus replies to them, who do you think you are? And then he's talking, hey, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And then, well, you don't know anything about Abraham. You're, you're, not, you're only 30-something years old. And then he says, before Abraham was, Jesus said, I am. That's weird construction in the English, right? It's supposed to be weird grammatically because Jesus is applying to himself this personal name of God. Some people call that Yahweh is the way they pronounce it. We don't even know exactly how that's pronounced. Jesus is applying to himself the personal name of God. 
Well, they know exactly what Jesus is doing. And as soon as they hear him apply to himself, I am, the conversation is over. They all bend down to grab rocks, to stone Jesus, to kill him for blasphemy, and he gets away from them. Why would they do that? Because they knew exactly what Jesus meant, that he was claiming to be God. Why does truth and freedom come from Jesus? Because Jesus is not only the Son of God, Jesus is God. And if you don't accept Jesus as the Son of God, if you don't believe that, if somehow you think that Jesus was just a great moral teacher, a great man in history, and, and he was the greatest man in history, but, but if you think it just stops there, you cannot be a Christian. To be a Christian is to say that Jesus is the Son of God. As a matter of fact, John eight thirty six says, So if the Son of Man makes you free, you will be free indeed. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So truth comes from Jesus. Why? Because he's the Son of God. And then the last question is simply, well, how can truth and freedom, ultimate truth and freedom, come to us? I want to take you back to the beginning of the conversation that we were talking about, verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him. So he's talking to a group of people who believe him. But here's what he says. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And as I mentioned before, here John repeatedly shows us where Jesus is interacting with people. They're good with Jesus. They like Jesus or they agree with what he's saying. They believe him. But they don't believe in him enough. They don't believe in him with saving faith. They don't believe in him as the son of God. And that's a problem. They don't believe with a saving faith. They don't believe enough to actually be Christians. And so Jesus says, it, how do you know if you believe enough? He says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. Now, please understand. The entire Bible and the entire New Testament is telling us that we cannot somehow earn our salvation through ethical behavior. We cannot get our salvation because we do good things, because we do good deeds. We can never earn our salvation. That's not what Jesus is saying. And we know that by his other words and everything else that was written in the New Testament. Obedience does not make you a Christian because Christianity cannot be earned. It's a gift. But if you truly receive that gift, if you truly recognize that Jesus is the Son of God and He came to give His life as a substitute for you to pay the penalty of your sin, then in gratitude, He will change your life and you will follow Him Becoming a true believer will show up in your life. That's what Jesus is saying. You will, as a Christian, strive to follow God. You want to follow God. And, and God, 
God's law, everything God said, right and wrong, all that was affirmed. All that Old Testament stuff, that the moral laws, was affirmed by Jesus. Jesus affirmed God's standard of justice and what's right and what's wrong. Now, we all know that as people, we should do the right thing. We all know that as people, we should live with integrity. But if we could do that completely, and, and a lot of us here might say, well, I'm a person of integrity. But if we could live in complete integrity, that would mean that we would never do anything wrong. That would mean that we would never have a secret because we would be an open book because everything we've ever done is okay and we wouldn't care who knew it. That would mean that if somebody could read our mind, that would be fine because every motivation, every thought we ever had would be a good and righteous thought. We, none of us, live up to that standard. None of us do right all the time. And even though God has given us freedom in the sense of free will that we can do what we choose to do, we've all chosen to do things that are contrary to God's law. So we don't measure up. And if you're here and you don't understand that that you don't do anything wrong? Well, just ask your spouse. They'll let you know. If you don't have a spouse, we all know why. <laughs> We've all done wrong things. Add to that, perfect justice demands that all wrong be punished. Because ultimately, there is justice in the universe. It comes from God. And ultimately, all wrongs will be punished, which is bad news for all of you and me. Because we all deserve punishment. We all have the same problem. All humanity, we're all of one blood. We all have the same problem, the same issue. We all want freedom. We all want freedom, but we're actually all under condemnation without Christ because we've sinned against God and we deserve punishment, all of us, except for Jesus. He came and lived a life without sin. He came and never had a wrong thought or a wrong motivation or a wrong action. He never committed a sin in action. He never committed a sin in omission. He was perfect. Yet he voluntarily died to pay for our punishment for what we've done wrong from a just, before a just and righteous God. He paid for us. And he offers this payment. He, he offers substituting himself for us to all people. But you have to know that you've done wrong. And you have to come to him on his terms. And his terms are recognizing our sinfulness and putting our trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, here's the problem with that. All of us 
and we see it every day in our nation today, we can see the wrongs of other people, the wrongs of the people in maybe on the other political party or the other political spectrum or this or that or the people we don't like at work. It's easy for us to see the sins of others. But it is hard to see the sins in our own heart. Because we don't want to admit that. And here's the thing. Even when we do see it, we lawyer up. We lawyer we lawyer ourselves up. We start saying, well, yeah, I did that. And technically that's not right. But the only reason I did that was because of this and this. We justify, we rationalize, we lawyer up to say why our sin is not so bad. It's not like that other person's sin. It's deadly. We camouflage our sins. What I see a lot today, I mentioned this maybe about five weeks ago, is the sin of moralism. Moralism is where we do something that we think is right, and typically that's a public statement or a public action for people to see. And then what we do is we publicly shame other people who don't do what we did. So it's this public shaming, and basically what that does is to say, I'm more moral than you are. And so then we feel good about our own morality because we've done this good thing and those people haven't done that. And then we convince ourselves that we are more moral than they are. As Christians, we can never do that. Because even to be a Christian is to admit that our hearts are twisted. Our hearts are flawed. Our hearts have this tendency to rebel against God and do the wrong thing. And it's only by the grace of God that we can do right with the right motivation. Truth is, we all deserve punishment because we've all sinned against Him, whether we know it or not. And if you don't know it, it's because you haven't taken the time to find out. Discover the truth and freedom that only Jesus offers. Here at Grace, like most people I know, we love everyone. And the best or most loving thing we can possibly do for anyone is to point them to our Savior who offers us freedom from the captivity, the enslavement of our own sin. Because when we put something else where God should be, we never measure up. There's always more. There's always more to do. Freedom is found in serving the one master who loves you completely, loves you with sacrifice, pays the price for you, and offers you forgiveness and freedom and joy as a gift if we'd only put our faith in Jesus, 
the Son of God, who, was di- who died, was buried, and resurrected for us. And that's the most important message you can ever hear. It's the most important message that you could ever respond to. And the way you receive that kind of forgiveness, like many of us have in this room, is by admitting your sin, understanding who Jesus is and what he came to do to be your substitute to pay for your sins. And you can do that even during this song that we close our service with. Even during this song, you can turn your heart to God, admit your sin, recognize who Jesus is, and want you to put your faith in Him and Him alone. If you need help with that, we would love to talk to you. If you do decide to put your life in God's hands, to put your trust in Jesus, we would love for you to swing through this little room right on the corner of this room called Room 1, double doors going right in. We have a packet of information that we would love you to give to you so you can walk out and look at it in the privacy of your own home because we want to help you grow closer to God as we all grow closer to God. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, we thank you. You know, this weekend, Lord, we thank you for our country. We have freedom to worship. Lord, and it's not lost on us that countries that have freedom to worship in any way, any religion, are countries that have been established with a Christian influence. Other countries don't have that. So God, first of all, we thank you that we live in a country where we have freedom to worship you and to talk in the public square and debate religion and who you are and what you've done. Lord, thanks for that kind of freedom. But Lord, most of all, we thank you for the spiritual freedom that you offer us freely as a gift in your son. And Father, we pray that everyone here, if they haven't already, would experience that kind of freedom, forgiveness, and joy. God, thanks for loving us. Lord, help us to turn our hearts to you as we sing this last song before we close. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.